Hey, welcome back to the Day 3 Podcast, brought to you by Team Collective Effort. This is Brian bringing you in, and I've got with me today Patrick. Hello. And Marcos. Hello. So the main purpose of the Day 3 Podcast is how to improve. Uh, The first step of how to improve is got to be self-evaluation. Without knowing what you need to improve, you can't figure out how to get better, or any kind of concrete steps you can take. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So what are some of the methods that you guys use for self-evaluation and just tracking where you might need to improve? I mean, technology has really helped us out here. You can record your games in Arena or Magic Online, uh, and you basically go and look at it like professional sports players go and look at their game footage. Uh, Back in the paper world, it's a little bit different because you're probably not recording those games. Uh, So at the end of the games, you can sometimes ask your opponent, you know, hey, these are some of the decisions I made. What do you think? At least most of the time in my experience, opponents have been very helpful, like, oh, yeah, that was was good, or, oh, well, you know, you maybe could have done this a little bit differently, and that would have really wrecked me. Yeah, I have that a lot too. Uh, where, where you know you, you talk to an opponent of the match, and sometimes you won't even ask. And it's like, man, I thought you were, I thought you had they brought this in, and it would have wrecked me. And I'm sitting there going, I do have that on my sideboard. I did not bring it in, <laughs> huh? I should have brought that in. Um, like, like for example, yesterday uh, we were playing at F and M, and someone made a point. Uh, Rhythm of the Wild, the new enchantment uh, that gives everything riot. Mm-hmm. It makes Glenalandra a permanent negate. Oh, because every time it comes back, oh. it removes the counter. Yeah, it does. I'm like, that's insane. And they had it in their <laughs> sideboard. They, 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 Murder the Wild main deck, uh, Glenelandra and sideboard just go, cool, I can pay one the rest of the game. It's a better negate. As long as wow. there's not, like, you know, graveyard removal, etc. Uh, but it's just like, holy crap, that's amazing. Um, you know, something that, that I usually do as well is I, I will look at pivotal points in the game uh, where the game was fine up until this point. You know, maybe that was, I kept a bad hand. Man, that's turn zero. That sucks. Uh, but maybe it's like turn seven or eight, and if I would have done this one thing differently, I would have had, you know, 80% better chance of winning the game, even if I would have lost. Uh, you know, it, it, the possibility of being there, you know, giving yourself the best opportunity, whether that's, you know, playing to your outs or uh, adapting to the board state the way it is. You know, it, it's, it's also something we have to think about constantly, which is why Magic's... A much more complicated game than I think a lot of people give it credit for. Um, it's very much like chess in that we're thinking many turns ahead, and obviously those plans sometimes change because hey, top deck hero, here we go. Uh, you know, now, now my, my plans have changed. We're doing this thing now. Also knowing and having the discipline to maybe see that top deck and look how excited it is, but knowing that that's not the right thing right now. Um, there are times like when I'm playing Sun Titan that I'll top deck a Sun Titan with six mana, and maybe they're tapped out. But I really need to deal with the thing on the board, because if I don't, Sun Titan ain't going to solve it. And it really hurts my soul not to play Sun Titan into a no-counter zone. But we gotta. For sure. And when it comes to that, I mean, there's a lot of things that are self-evaluative. Going back to your point, Brian, uh, it's actually really funny how much information you can get from other Magic players. Because as Magic players, I'm sure we all know, we love talking about how sweet our decks are. So... <laughs> leveraging that especially you know in more casual environments like fnm or things like that uh but i mean even at pptqs and grand prix that i've played in beforehand most of my opponents were very willing as long as you know it wasn't a a soul-crushing victory over them 
Uh, most yeah. of my opponents were pretty willing to break down what they sideboarded against me, how I sideboarded against them, would they have done the same thing. It's really valuable to get their perspective on what they're afraid of out of your deck because you have such a tunnel vision on what you're playing and what your game plan is that sometimes it's really helpful to break that tunnel vision by getting that third-party viewpoint. You know, that kind of goes back also to replaying the tape, watching yourself play when you're not in the middle of thinking through the lines in the moment of the game gives you a different perspective and makes you go, wait, why in the world would I do that? When I'm looking at it now with a fresh perspective and a third-party perspective, all of a sudden I see clearly I should have taken this other line that actually would have won me the game a turn sooner. But because you're so involved with so many different thought processes in the middle of the game, it's really hard to see some of those lines because you do end up getting tunnel vision. At least that's something I experience a lot. I get so tunnel visioned on what I'm trying to accomplish. I just completely don't ignore because I just don't see them. I, I just get so focused in on what I'm doing that I cannot see the other branching lines that might be better for me because I get so fixated on that one potential, uh, potential line of play that could win me the game, even if it's not the most optimal because I'm not taking that step back, you know? Right, and I think... That's too where if you've got, you know, friends, teammates, whatever you want to call them, they can come in and help you out uh, to say, well, you remember in game two when this and this and this happened, well, did you think about doing it this other slightly different way? Right, you know, and, and I think Brian and I both had opportunities last night where uh, maybe we wouldn't have won the game, um, but there was definitely a, a step where you know where there was one point where he was watching me there was one point where I was watching him and we both kind of like you know why didn't you did the thing you didn't do the thing um, like my, my example was uh, I was playing against Dredge uh, and they had like 10 cards left in the library and I knew his bases were gone and I could have played a Ghost Quarter Ghost Quartered him played a Sun Titan get Ghost Quarter back attack with my other Sun Titan and also Ghost Quarter him again and that would have taken him down Ooh. to like 3 or 4 lands and he killed me in hand with a uh Creeping chill. A creeping chill. Hard cast? two. And he hard cast it. Five. So if I would have done that, he wouldn't have had it. I had I had Ruined Halo on his three blood ghast, uh, and I had a D-Sphere taking care of his prize amalgams, and he'd already played both conflagrates. So, like, I threw this game away because I didn't go quarter. And instead I played, I think, a Flicker Wisp, bounced, drew a card. Like, I, I did dumb things. And then immediately he had tapped and went, oh. And he went, got him. Yeah, and at that point, you didn't necessarily even immediately throw the game at that point because it's very hard to know for sure whether you're just outright losing because you made one decision. But at the very least, you took the path that gave you the lesser percentage chance to win that game than the other path that would have increased those odds and maybe, you know, four out of those ten games you would have won. So I think that's a really important aspect to take away from that, just having that idea of what gives me the best chance to win from here. Indeed, indeed. And uh, uh, did you have anything last night, Brian, that, that you took away? Uh, was there any specific moment uh, that you know really made an impact on you? No, none whatsoever. Got it. You're perfect. Got it. Makes uh, sense. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> I consistently like 8 and 0 at FNMs, even though there's only four rounds. That makes sense. It's eight games, right? Not eight matches? No, eight matches. Oh, man, that's impressive. I played two games at once. I'm just that good. Double queuing. Oh, snap. Jeez. <laughs> You know, uh, Will's not with us today, but he had a specific experience uh, that was 
pretty interesting at a, a, a SCG Classic that we were at. Um, and I think Marcus is going to talk about that because it kind of leads into a thing that he also did um, <laughs> and had had against him. So go ahead and take that away, buddy. Yeah, so in keeping with our Freebirds rule or the New Day rule that we have at least three of the five of us here this week, uh, I'll be talking about uh, two stories that actually both involve our dear friend Will Brown. Uh, the first being where he first realized how he could improve on something that was just very unintuitive to him at the time. Uh, that comes down to when he was playing a game and he apparently had a huge punt that he didn't realize that he had punted because a spectator after the game had informed him that he could use Karn Liberated's minus ability to target Karn Liberated itself and then allow him to have a Karn when he restarted the game. Uh, and effectively that line of play, based on how the rest of the game worked out, would have actually let him ultimate a Karn later on that he had in his hand, win the game that he restarted, having a Karn in play to begin with, and he could have just completely taken over that game. And again, it was just one of those things where he wasn't thinking that the exact words on Karn say, exile target permanent, and it does not say target permanent your opponent controls, uh, or target permanent that's not Karn. Uh, similar to this, here's a fun story when uh, Will and I were playing Modern, we were matched up against each other, and we were sitting there and I was playing Jund at the time. I had Liliana of the Veil that was ticking up, slowly but surely, inevitably going towards her ultimate, which was negative six, uh, target players, uh, I'm gonna actually pull up Oracle text on this so I make sure I'm saying it right, because it's important to the story. It is not target player. Uh, I think it is target player. Because I know Playland uh, prevents it. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, but yeah. Yep. Also, this is the first game Will ever played, mind you, in Modern. Don't, oh, don't yeah, for, this was Will's first it, it game was, playing is, Modern. Is you gave him, because you had a Tron deck built, and you gave it mm-hmm. to him because he, he looked interested in it, and you, you had just built Jund. So you were super That's excited right. to play it. Yeah. Which is why, which makes yeah, it so, finally finished so much more sweeter. Because it's so pricey. <laughs> oh, my goodness, yeah. Uh, at this point, I'm taking up Liliana the Veil. Each player discards a card or plus one. Her ultimate is negative six. Separate all permanents target player controls into two piles. That player sacrifices all permanents in the pile of their choice. So at this point, uh, Will then is playing my Tron deck. He was running, or I was running Emrakul, uh, the new Emrakul from Eldritch Moon that Mindslavers your opponent. So he casts the Emrakul, takes my turn, ultimates Liliana targeting me separates all my permanents into one pile, chooses the other pile that has nothing in it, and completely wrecks my board. Oh my god. <laughs> completely obliterates me. And that is the day... Today was the day I was today years old when I learned that Liliana could target yourself because, again, it's such an unintuitive line of play. Why would you ever want to do that? Well, I'll tell you when. When you're mind-slavering your opponent and they have a Liliana ready to ultimate <laughs> and you can just ruin their day. So this is that kind of third-party perspective. Patrick made a great point. This was Will's first match of Modern and he read that card without having the mindset of Liliana targets my opponent. He just read the card and said, okay, this card says target player. Get wrecked, nerd. And just obliterated me completely. Yeah, the look, the look on on both of your faces that night, because uh, because I think we, <laughs> I, I think there was like a draft or something going on, and, and you guys were kind of mm-hmm. doing it on the side, and I just look over, and Marcos's face is just straight disbelief, <laughs> uh, like no, that can't happen, and Will is just dying <laughs> laughing, 
Uh, because how <laughs> hilarious is that? So do you think if they reprinted Liliana of the Veil today uh, with New World Order Design and so on, uh, would it say opponent instead of player? Because look at cards like Assassin's Trophy. Probably. It's a weird spot because I, I like this word a lot. There's a, a lot of shenanigans that happen when you can do stuff to your own things, but you get less shenanigans when you know a card was designed in mind with, I want you to hit your opponent's thing with this. Like Assassin's Trophy, like you say. Where there are some times that I'll path my own thing and I'm happy about it. Where I can never do that if it's Assassin's Trophy. I cannot straight right. Assassin's Trophy my thing because I need a land. If I'm playing Jund and I need red right now, can't do it. Mm-hmm. Sorry about your loss, you know? Uh, you know, when, when I'm playing Amaria, there's plenty of times where I have six planes on the battlefield, I have an Amaria, and I'm ready to go. This is basically ramping me a turn and also turning Amaria on faster. And if I have a Sun Titan in the yard, you know I'm pathing whatever creatures on the battlefield. Well, maybe not a Flicker Wiz, but I like Flicker Wiz a lot. But most of the other ones. Yeah, more like the germ token or something like that. Yeah, that, that's just that straight value. <laughs> yeah. But but I'll, I'll hit a wall, I'll hit, you know, a Court Hussar. I mean, any of the other creatures are just filler at that point. Um, you know, obviously I don't want to hit a Sun Titan to try to get another Sun Titan back. What's the point? But nevertheless, I mean, uh, we, we talked about, you know, there's two stories there where Will, at this point, being brand new to modern, and Marcos playing for... I mean, this was after your your Amulet Bloom days, right? Uh, so this is this was yeah. I was rebuilding because Amulet got banned, right? Yeah, and so Will was able to see this this line that because he didn't know that you know normally you just hit your opponent, that's fine, you know. Um, and you know to be fair, he was still hitting his opponent. <laughs> you just have to be in control of it. Um, but this also leads to, to to other things. I mean, obviously we we have uh, using Karn on itself. Uh, or on another Karn, uh, for that matter, you know, and whatnot, or using Lily's ultimate on its owner, which is insanely hilarious. Uh, but even just thinking outside the box of what normally is done, and uh, we, we go on uh, the fact here about, like, Flicker Wisp is, is a card I love. Um, it's, in my opinion, the it's an MVP in my deck. Uh, it's the best card in the deck. It, you know, Sun Titan Mary, that's what the deck's named after. That's fine. Flicker Wisp is the best card in the deck. And when someone surgicals my Flicker Wisp, I get really sad. Things I did last night with Flicker Wisp. I bounced a Escanta to put it back into an enchantment, which he didn't get back because I bounced a Flicker Wisp first with my other Flicker Wisp to put his Escanta through the end of his turn and come back as an enchantment that he wouldn't have for basically two turns. He wouldn't be able to activate Escanta against a control deck. I bounced a Detention wow. Sphere uh, to give a guy his creatures back so I can then board wipe. And then bring the Detention Sphere back in and then get a Planeswalker with it. Uh, cra- crazy things like that. Like, Flicker Wisp into Flicker Wisp is probably my favorite thing. Um, I've had somebody uh, who's had a Planeswalker who's about to go off that I could kill if I had two Flicker Wisps on the battlefield when it was, say, there. Like, I don't know, is it Liliana of the Last Hope? Uh, kills basically every creature in my deck, except Sun Titan, because uh, they all have one toughness. <laughs> Hitting a card like Flicker Wisp and, and using it unintuitively, because usually you wouldn't just Flicker Wisp your own Flicker Wisp. Because uh, what's the point? Uh, but taking someone something that they have like a planeswalker and not letting them play it during their own turn, and it coming back at end step when they can't activate anymore, is something that's intuitive in that way. And there's also another uh, important thing that I want to point out in what you were talking about with the double flicker whispering. Uh, just the idea that you understood the interactions well enough that you realized cascading flicker wisps would make it so that something ended up not coming back immediately and basically allowing you to flicker wisp at a time when you wouldn't flicker wisp normally 
having that kind of rules understanding and interaction is really important too because the more you develop your understanding of what every single card in your deck can potentially do uh, is really important to help you find those one times when, wow, I really wish I could Flicker Wisp during their turn as opposed to during mine. Oh, wait, I can find a way to do that. Let's do it. Obviously, in this case, the specific wording of it comes back at the beginning of the next end step, and since your Flicker Wisp is coming back at the beginning of the end step, we've already hit the beginning. So it wouldn't come back until the next end step, which is theirs, uh, which is really right. funny, and I usually get the card turned upside down in red uh, when, we, when we do that. Um, so, so I mean, these are all just little little interactions between you know, you know, making sure you read the card and what all it can do, not what it normally does. Um, and that, that's just, that's again another point uh, for us to to reflect on, uh, looking at ourselves, knowing our deck hundred um, percent. And then there are other things as well, uh, you know, maybe after the game. Right. So a lot of times, you know, especially if I'm playing against, uh, say, somebody who's playing a more uh, rogue deck or a, a less popular deck, rather, that I haven't really played against very often. Uh, after the match, I'll just straight up say, hey, these are what I sideboarded in. This is what I sideboarded out. Doesn't make sense. What do you think? Then I'll show them the rest of my sideboard, like, here are the rest of my sideboard cards. Should I have brought any of these in? Uh, I'm going to go back to a specific game, or a specific match, rather, Two weeks ago, I was playing against Amulet Titan. Well, game one was one on the back of janking him out with a Blood Moon. You know. Happens. Uh, Game two, I had left in some Vapor Snags uh, to, in my idea at least, to deal with either Azusa or Primetime. Which, I mean, it made sense to me at least. Uh, And then I was talking to him after the match and he's like, you know... Vapor Snag is probably not all that great because if I'm playing primetime, you're in a really bad way, and bouncing it at that point is not going to do a whole lot of good. I mean, it prevents you from dying right now. Yeah, and yeah. then he gets to play it again next turn, and it's like, more lands. Oh, uh, yeah, that, that's that's bad. So I learned something there. Like, okay, well, maybe I board out Vapor Snag. I bring in, uh, I know I brought in Echoing Truth and Smash to Smithereens. I don't even know what else I would bring in. Mm-hmm. But maybe I don't board out some of the things that I did, and then I board out the Vapor Snag next time I play that, because that's a that's a fairly popular deck now. Right. And, and, and Vapor Snag, like you said, you, you were thinking about thinking about it originally for uh, Primetime and also for Azusa. And unfortunately, uh, generally when, when you play an Azusa, if you have lands that don't have triggered abilities, uh, that's just a special action, so you can't respond anyway. Um, so they're going to get some value out of it. In this case, obviously, there are some triggered abilities in Amulet Titan with the uh, tappies and untaps. Right, you can definitely respond to the, the untap and or bounce from the Karoo land. Mm-hmm. Running it back and, you know, going off of what he was saying, what, it made a lot more sense. And I think next time I play against Amulet Titan, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to sideboard a little bit differently. That says the difference between, you know, the amulet player who immediately plays out their land that has a trigger when they have an Azusa against an opponent with mana up versus the ones who don't. And then that's just helping you make sure that you know that on the other end so you know how to uh, approach it even better as well. Well, and it's always pretty obvious to see certain players with certain decks and knowing how long they've played the deck. Like, uh, if I see an amulet player and they play, you know, turn one forced or whatever, and turn two Boros Garrison, 
I'm like, well, this person either has no mana or they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> because you yeah. do not want to play like some of your key pieces you only have one of. Because the format's rich with land destruction. Um, you know, obviously a lot of people are playing a lot more basics now in their decks just because of Field of Ruin, let alone uh, decks that run Ghost Quarter. Uh, you know, and it is very satisfying to Ghost Quarter a land that they need to like kill you instantly. But sometimes it, it is yeah. what it is. You know, you can't you can't always fix it. You know, and if it's the only land you got, it's the only land you got. Hopefully. So. Another takeaway, just kind of building off of that also, is having those conversations is really important. Uh, you know, breaking down the matches with your opponent is really important to helping you understand it better. But then when you're playing, let's say, day one of a Grand Prix, and you have eight or nine rounds that you're playing, it's going to be really tough to remember every single point that you learned throughout the day especially because it's such a grind you know you barely had time to go get food in between rounds etc etc whatever it might be so one big takeaway that i've taken away from doing a lot of judging is taking notes during the day uh the key aspect being when you're especially when you're breaking down a matchup with an opponent let's say you finish a little early and you can just sit down and chat with your opponent uh, definitely do so that's one of my favorite things about playing magic at a competitive level um, but when they're talking to you about what makes sense, don't just nod along and go, oh, okay, that's really cool. You know, write it down. Make it something that you're taking notes and learning from when it's fresh in your mind and it's right there after having just experienced what happens when you don't take that advice or when you don't think of that line of play. Because I find what happens is after a long weekend, you come back and you have no idea what that first round was like or even who that opponent was. You could, you should probably also take your opponent's advice with a grain of salt because they might not know 100% what your deck is trying to do and they might not be good at evaluating which of your sideboard cards are actually going to wreck them. You know, maybe, maybe they think that uh, Rest in Peace wrecks them and in actuality it's like, well, it's fine... <laughs> yeah i mean that's one thing that i've found really helps me because again modern is definitely my format i've constantly joked about how i want to basically own every single deck that's in modern so that i can play them at any given time uh the reason i do that and the reason why i like being able to have access to all these decks is i really like putting myself in the position of my opponent and specifically the pilot of that deck you know, there are times where I, when Dredge was first getting up and running, I had no idea what in the heck was going on when they were first starting to do all their Dredgey shenanigans. So what did I do? I just sat down and picked up Dredge and just started playing with it. And all of a sudden I realized, like, man, this thing that I thought would be so much more frightening to a Dredge player, they don't care as much about when they're actually in the middle of it because they'd already planned for it or they sideboarded for it or they just don't care because they have a different line of play that you wouldn't see sitting across the table. So what do you do if you're on a budget and you can't afford every modern deck or every standard deck or whatever uh, format that you want to play? Good question. So when it comes to that, uh, one thing I found very helpful is actually jumping into things like Facebook groups for individual decks. Uh, I didn't even realize this was a thing until very recently, but there are Facebook groups out there for basically any kind of big modern deck out there because most of these decks are going to stick around for a very long time and people are very invested into them. 
Uh, you know, I'm in the Amulet Titan Facebook group. Uh, there's also one for Black Green The Rock uh, that people are, you know, as soon as Assassin's Trophy got printed, everybody went wild in there. And you can find it for basically everything out there. I think I also joined the Mardu Pyromancer group for a little while, too, until I stopped playing that deck a little bit. But I was pretty high on that deck when it was first uh, a thing. So having those kinds of outlets where you can just talk to people who have the reps in, because really it's about getting those reps. It's about understanding the lines that you only really get from having done it so much that you're looking for a different way out because you've already internalized all of the defaults for what the deck is supposed to do. And whether it's you playing that deck over and over again and really understanding what the deck is trying to do and getting to that point yourself or approaching someone who has those reps in and go, okay, I experienced this situation. I couldn't think of a way out of this. What would you do? That kind of discussion can be really helpful to figuring that out. Yeah, like uh, Channel Fireball, um, a lot of their streamers will not only play their decks, you know, just streaming online, they'll also go through the build real quick and why certain cards are in the 60 or the 15 in your sideboard, or when they're actually playing, they'll say, okay, well, this is, this is a good hand, or this is not a good hand, and this is why I'm playing this card now, and uh, they go through their thought process, and mm-hmm. that's that's helpful a lot too. Yeah, and, and yeah. taking taking any time to to watch somebody else play a deck, whether whether it's you know your first time playing the deck or you playing it for a while, uh, is is relevant. Whether or not you follow the other exact guidelines. Um, for example, uh, we played an event, Marcos, Will, and myself. Uh, and it was a unified modern event. Uh, and I decided, uh, because of an article we read from uh, Brian Gottlieb about Ad Nauseam, that, man, you shouldn't play Lab Maniac. It's a bad card because Surgical just makes you lose the game. So I played, you know, two Peer Through Depths, the Conjurer's Bobble, and uh, some other card I can't remember, uh, instead of my Lab Maniac and my three spoils. And it felt good until we got to the event where my... I think it was actually Spoils of the Vault that he was very against because yes. it ended up being a card that you just lose to a non-zero percent of the time. Right, but you, you, you need Spoils to make Labmanic really relevant, uh, which is why it was also pulled out of the deck. Uh, the, the biggest thing here is, you know, you can't always look at someone else, even as someone who uh, now, for example, is a Star City commentator. Uh, yes, he knows what he's doing. He's piloted the deck a really long time, but he's not me. Uh, our, our decisions... Are different. We play the game the deck differently. Uh, so, in my case, it didn't work for me. I I hated it. I did so horrible with it. I think I won a singular game in the main event and most of our team events we played, which was like seven rounds. Uh, to be fair, it was basically humans and storm that I played against the entire time, which is the worst, the literal worst. Uh, but otherwise, you know, it wasn't bad. Um, the, the, the biggest thing to me, though, was when we were at the event and I was kind of back in, uh, what do you call it, default mode, if you will, uh, where I, I'm you know using my muscle memory to play this deck and I'm thinking through all these lines and I'm sitting here going, man, I wish I had a spoils. Oh, wish I had a spoils. Hey, if I had a landing mac, I could have won right now. And I'm sitting here playing peer through decks, which was fine. Um, uh, you know, and, and one of the cool concepts was to play Lightning Storm early on in the game so you can get in the graveyard and then Contra bobble it back once you've gone off, which did help me win a game. But, uh, you know, since then I've defaulted the deck back to normal 
and it's felt much more good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you do lose sometimes when you when you you, you, you spoils, but it happens. You know, it's it's, it's knowing your deck and, and being uh, again honest with yourself with what you can do. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to touch on when it comes to uh, reading content from content producers, like reading that article about uh, Ad Nauseam from Brian Gottlieb, or mm-hmm. even just watching streamers from Channel Fireball, one thing I've really found helpful for me is like, for example, when I was playing Jund for a little while, I still love playing Jund, I just you know don't go back to it as often anymore, but... Uh, you know, I would watch, for example, there's a video that Channel Fireball put up, which is Reed Duke plays a seven-round modern challenge with Jund. And I'm like, I love the ability to be able to sit over Reed Duke's shoulder as he's piloting Jund through seven rounds, and of course, because it's Reed Duke, a top eight as well, <laughs> and really getting a more in-depth perspective on what he's doing and not just sitting there passively watching and going, oh, that's interesting, but, you know, pausing the video here and there and asking myself, okay, what would I do in this situation? I see the hand that he has. I see the battlefield. I see, you know, I saw the deck list earlier on, so I know what he's playing. And I just stop it and ask myself, like, okay, here's the lo- here's an interesting pivot point in this matchup. What would I do in this situation? And then see what Reed does and go, oh, okay, that's probably way better than what I would have done realistically. But it's interesting to put yourself in that thought process and start figuring out maybe why didn't I come to the same conclusion that Reed did? Or why did I come to a similar conclusion that Reed did, but it didn't end up working out? And just taking that kind of approach to make it a lot more involved on your end to really be able to take more away from watching that kind of content. Right, and I think something that, uh, you, obviously decisions are important in the game. And in, in this case, uh, Reed is making certain decisions based upon much more than we see on the surface, most likely, which is why he's such a good player. One thing that, that some people may be familiar with, but maybe some people aren't, uh, is hypergeometric calculation, which sounds <laughs> crazy, and well, it kind of is. Uh, but basically, if you type <laughs> in hypergeometric calculator online, um, you can find uh, basically a, it's a simple form that says, how many cards are we looking at? Or they call them uh, units or something like that. And then you, you're looking for, what are the odds I'm going to hit this one card, basically? Uh, so knowing certain percentages, like, like if I keep a one land hand, that means that there, if I'm playing 24 lands, there's 23 lands left in my deck, and there's 53 cards. So what are the odds that my next card is going to be a land? And that really messes with you um, because it's almost almost never correct to keep a one land hand unless you have ways of getting there. <laughs> and even then, it's 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 sketchy. You know, I've I've seen people keep zero land hands and it worked out for them. Uh, I got beat by a deck that kept a zero land hand last night. Uh, four or it was granted it was mold four dredge beat me in game one. That hurt real bad. Um, but nevertheless, you know, it, it's it's knowing your outs and knowing how to get there. Right. So it's, some of you may know, I don't exactly play quote-unquote tier one decks. Uh, and, you know, you might ask, well, why are you not playing decks that have been proven by multiple very good players to be good decks? Uh, and you kind of have to look at the deck you're playing if it's not one of these tier one decks and decide have you placed arbitrary limitations on yourself because of whatever reason maybe you just don't like the way that storm plays because you don't want to play that way or you don't like the way that tron plays because you know you're of the opinion that ursus tower needs banned or something like that just the one way 
Just the one. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Mine and power plant are fine. That would be hilarious. Power's broke. <laughs> and then on the other hand, do you have a pet card that you like that just isn't that great? Or, or a pet color set, you may say? It's good. Storm is a good deck. That's not what I'm playing. Yeah, Those right. are the colors I'm playing. <laughs> but I'm playing four of Thunderous Wrath in my main board. I'm probably the only person at, for example, uh, last night at Friday Night Magic, we had probably 40 people. I think I was responsible for all four copies of Thunderous Wrath in the entire room. <laughs> Why do I play that? I know it's a bad card, but I like it. It's a lot of fun. I mean, there's, like I said earlier, there's shenanigans involved. There and, is shenanigans involved. And ironically, uh, although Brian should go first most of the time, there is a, a scary, well, when he's on the, the draw, actually, is, is uh, bad for him. Every <laughs> time. Because turn one, flip, that's a thunderous wrath. Well, that sucks. Move along. Uh, <laughs> but I, I can definitely say, I mean, back before I started playing Titan again, uh, Brian and I played when he had just brought this deck out, and Ad Nauseam wasn't fast enough. Because I got, like, ten points of damage by turn three. And I'm like, this is, this is crap. <laughs> you know? And, and the worst feeling in the world, again, is, oh, flip my Delver with the Thunderous Wrath. Also Miracle Trigger? It's like, well, that sucks. That's eight damage this turn. <laughs> Fun stuff. <laughs> you know? Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's definitely keeping in mind uh, the, the, the limitations that you're putting on yourself uh, may be on color choice. They may be on a card choice. Uh, they could just be on people. I've seen people say, well, I'm not good enough to play that deck. And it's like, Why? Uh, you know, I, I play decks that I like, that I have fun with. And, and sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. I can play better decks. That's not me, though. There's also something to be said for even if you are playing a less popular deck, knowing your deck really well. Mm -hmm. A well-piloted Tier 2, Tier 3, even a rogue deck will wreck someone who just picked up Jund yesterday. And there's a lot to that that also means that you might be better prepared when the metagame shifts. Uh, so perfect example of this is back in the Amulet Bloom days when Summer Bloom was still a part of the deck, I was playing that deck like crazy. Uh, and a local player nearby us, some of you guys may know him from the SCG circuit, Austin Robbins, he picked up the deck as well and really fell in love with it. So then Summer Bloom got banned and I ended up switching over to things like Tron, things like Traitor. Uh, we were talking about Jund and just playing out different other decks because I wanted to play a really competitive deck. Yes, Traitor, very much so. <laughs> but Austin stuck through with Amulet and he started playing the builds that had the Sakura Tribe Scout in it and started uh, messing around with Explorers in there. Glittery Mesh, yeah. Yeah, and he did a Glittering Wish version that he was able to do really well with. And then out of nowhere, I think it was starting uh, either 2017, I think it was, when he started really picking up with that deck. Or it might have been 2018, I forget. But I think it was early all 2018. Of a sudden, yeah. Okay, yeah, it might have been early 2018. He started, you know, doing really well at SCG Classics with that deck that he just had not abandoned. And now at this point, you know, two, three years after that banning... Now, Austin knows that deck inside and out better than I do by far. And he's consistently doing well with the deck at SCG and bigger events all the time. And it's because he understood that in that time, yes, he was limiting himself by not going with the tier one deck, but he saw something that was really powerful here that he wanted to explore and really fine tune and get those reps in, get the time in to be able to make that deck something better. And now, Amulet is one of the top decks in the format again. 
I don't think we talk about this enough, but, but hubris is also really important. Because uh, for a while in our area, Marcos, when, you know, when he was here still, was the amulet player. Everyone knew what he was playing every time he came to an event, and he was the guy. And then Austin, like you said, Austin picked it up, and he was just kind of in the background. But there was a point where, you know, you kind of knelt to the new king, if you will, and gave up your throne of <laughs> the amulet player, because Austin kept pushed through, like you said. And it, it yeah. is really helpful to, uh, like, if you want to play a deck, no matter what, like, if I, like I'm playing White Blue Titan right now. It's it's not a great deck. Let's let's just be straight up and honest, you know. I had somebody ask me if it was a real deck recently again. Like, <laughs> yes, it, it exists. It's a deck. It, there are shenanigans. It's fun. Um, but there are times like I, I beat Grixis Deck Shadow recently, and it's just like I shouldn't beat that deck. But knowing my deck better than this person who had just started playing the Shadow deck, uh, as Marco said, you know, knowing your deck is important. Yeah, and specifically, I think the important thing about really knowing your deck, like between both you and Brian, is knowing the powerful interactions in that deck and really starting to exploit that. You know, that's part of how Austin and so many others in the Amulet community started really tuning this new build of Amulet that didn't rely on Summer Bloom that became much more consistent because they recognized what these still key interactions were in the deck. You know, like you were saying beforehand, flipping a Thunderous Wrath through Delver is an awesome potential thing to happen and you know you recognize things in Ameria titan that are really powerful like flicker wisp into flicker wisp or ghost courting somebody three times in a single turn because of what sun titans you happen to have out those are things that you wouldn't know if you weren't exploring those decks fully there is also something to be said for just catching people off guard (laughs) (laughs) you know if they have to read your card or if you have to explain most of your cards to them, they're probably off of their game plan trying to figure out how to stop what you're doing while they're also trying to figure out what you're doing in the first place to stop it. Yeah, I, I, I can tell you that pretty much every single time I play an Ojitize command, people go, excuse me, what? Uh, and then every <laughs> once in a while I get a, oh man, that card was really good in Standard. I'm like, yeah, it was. It's not bad here either. Uh, but I mean, there's also, and to kind of uh, sum this all up with a little bow, we have an idea of we're understanding that we're not playing the higher tier deck you know if our only goal was to just win every single game we played well then we might decide to play different decks you know i'm back on amulet right now it happens to be very strong but there's also other decks that i'm testing and messing around with because i want to understand them better and realistically if i wanted to play like the winning deck i might be playing well right now probably uh is it drake's just because it's the winning deck. Which ironically, but, both my decks just destroy it. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I don't get it. <laughs> but, but, but that's a, an opportunity because you're recognizing through your repetitions of playing that deck that you have good game against what now suddenly is the most powerful deck in the format to a lot of people's opinions, and you can exploit that. Uh, and so having that dedication to your decks, it's not necessarily just saying, you know, oh, I'm playing this deck that isn't tier one because I think it's good or lying to yourself about how good it is compared to the field. It's going, no, no, no. I understand that this is not the strongest deck out there against everybody. But I understand the interactions. It fits a play style that works really well for me. I understand the cards that are going in and out of here. I can tune it better than I feel like I can tune a random deck. And taking that to a certain level but again not lying to yourself about 
what it is that you're doing there you know you are self-limiting but your understanding of that as opposed to just saying no no no, this little jank deck over here that's playing during the siege tower and nothing but oh four oxes this is gonna win the gp this weekend well sorry it's not hey you don't know until you try yeah actually now i just gave myself a really good idea i think a really yeah. bad idea, but a really fun. Oh, idea. it's bad, probably. But it's, I mean, it's, oh, it's really bad. I mean, Doran sure. and what uh, and Snaring Bridge—that's a combo. But it's been hey. around. Yeah. Well, you know, in in I think it's important um, in this case to, to to make one mention of something. You know, I, I hear a lot of people complain about you know the modern format um, as it is now, and then it's so hard to sideboard because there's so many different decks. And I'm sitting here going, it's because it's healthy. Uh, no one deck. <laughs> I mean, the fact that we had to think. Is it is it Drex is probably one of the most powerful decks right now? There's still a lot of things that are right on its tail, and although you know we may be choosing to play decks that aren't necessarily you know in the top five, ten, fifteen, whatever, um, you know, you know, it's okay because there is enough out there that anybody can take a, a, an event down. I mean, you could be playing, you know, you remember when Red Blue Wizards first hit and hit a top eight? People were like, what deck is this? Uh, it's, it's, that it's, Boros it's, Soldiers deck that just went 9-0 on day one of a Grand Prix. Take that it. deck, mm-hmm. not the most powerful deck I've ever seen in Modern, but it went 9-0, and I guarantee you it's because that pilot knew that deck in and out and knew how to play. Oh, it's a beautiful thing, beautiful thing. Um, you know, that being said, you know, we, we've kind of uh, talked a lot about self-reflection um, and how important it is, and we've given you a lot of different ways to, to look, look at self-reflection and things you could do uh, to improve yourself. And there are many more out there. Again, there are a lot of different podcasts out there, a lot of different resources out there of people analyzing cards, analyzing your play style, knowing your uh, your math of how often you're going to draw a card, etc. But really just being aware of yourself uh, is, I think, the biggest thing you can do. So I think I think we can, wrap, like you said, wrap it up <laughs> with a little bow and, and kind of close off um, and bring us to our next topic. Brian, what topic is that? Oh, our uh, weekly segment of the week. The weekly segment of the week. This week's weekly segment of the week, we're going to talk about the modern product. It's going to be announced at the end of February. We're going to have some baseless speculation here on what we think it might be. And I'll start us off. I think it could be a modern plane remastered set similar to the magic online tempest remastered mm. um, we haven't been to mirrodin recently and there's some good reprints out there in the mirrodin blocks that they could print also if they wanted to if they wanted to print some new cards there's a uh, cycle of swords out there that <laughs> hasn't been completed we need some allied that swords oh man can you imagine what those swords would do Oh boy, uh, you know that's it, it, that's a that's a good point, Brian. Um, a, a plain remastered, you know, obviously there there are certain cards that we're probably just never gonna see from from, from Mirrodin, for example, like like the artifact lands. They're just they're just too good. Oh yeah, no way. Um, I mean, they could they could print them, I guess, for commander purposes. Um, but why? I mean, there's enough of them out there for that. They're there. You know, you only get one of them anyway. I mean, they, I think they just print them into the commander precons at this point. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that would be a good way to do it. Uh, they put them in Brea. I believe in C sixteen. Yeah, all but yep. one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> poor! Oh goodness, the green one. What's it called? Tree, uh, of, tree tails. of tails. Yeah. Poor tree of tails. It's okay. It's like the cheapest one anyway, right? Uh, that that or the white one. Uh, the red one, ridiculous expensive. Yeah. Thank you, Popper. Uh, but you know, you know that that is uh, it is interesting. Um, 
I mean, you said Mirrodin. Were there, were there other planes that you might think it also might be? I mean, people have been talking about uh, going back to Lorwyn and or Shadowmoor. Mm. And I know we've been there recently. Uh, Innistrad has a couple good reprints, and it's hugely popular among the player base. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't like gothic things at all, right? Uh, no, not one bit. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> Laws were a little more clear that, on that. That might be that might be more of a wishful thinking <laughs> than an actual Fingers idea. Thing, yeah, <laughs> yeah this I mean, is the base of speculation of the week. That works. Hey, it is base of speculation. I would say Innistrad. We're gonna have Innistrad remastered. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I don't know. Great. I don't know how we're gonna swing uh, new cards if they do that. Are there any unfinished cycles from Innistrad? I'm not aware of any. Come I mean, up with a few. We, we have a lot of opportunity to grow with Delirium and, and, and more Transformers is always a thing. Like, it's always going to be a thing. Uh, it's not And broken. it's one of the only ways they could reprint Transform cards because they're so tougher for them to reprint into things like Commander sets, too. So maybe something there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a very interesting thought, Brian. Uh, the plane remastered. And, you know, it, it could be that. I, I lean a little differently. I, I, I personally think that we're going to see something similar to... Do you guys all remember the modern event deck? Uh, from, gosh, was oh, it yeah. like 14, 2014, 2013 maybe? I think it was 2013 actually. Yeah, 2014. Was it 14? Okay. I mean, it was it was a black-white tokens deck. And at the time, black-white tokens wasn't like amazing. It wasn't even very good. But it was it was like... I believe the MSRP on it was like, like $40. And in it was Inquisition of Cosmic, which at the time, if I remember correctly, was about a $25 card. So you bought a $40 package, you got $50 for the cards just in two cards. Uh, not to mention this deck had Path to Exile, it had a Sword of Feast and Famine, it had three Tidal Scholars, it had uh, Kings of Coilos, Isolated Chapels, uh, all sorts of good cards, and the sideboard is disgusting. Um, you know, we had three Relics, uh, Pagendus, three Kataki, two Dismember, three Duress. Like, it was a pretty good deck. Now, to make it really good, uh, you know, you, you need cards that are going to spend on more tokens like Bitter Blossoms, which were insanely expensive at the time. Um, so it was, it was it was a good way to start a deck and then spend, you know, another few hundred dollars to get something that was slightly competitive uh, um, with it. Uh, but I could easily see them. I mean, you know, uh, Brian and I talked before, before the cast about Challenger decks and how those were pretty popular. And the fact that Wizards, you know, claims to not know about the secondary market... Uh, but happens to print a a, a deck uh, like, say, the Red Challenger deck. Was it a vehicle deck, right, uh, if I remember correctly? Yep. Um, they, they had vehicles and they had a mono-red deck. Oh, it was the mono-red deck, yes. That oh, that's had, right, that's right. Uh, they had Chandra in it, when Chandra was like $30-$40. Like, it, was, it was a pretty big deal. Uh, you know, that was like the one value card in it, because uh, I, think, I think the other one had uh, the Red God in it. Hazret. Hazret, that's the person's name. Beautiful. Uh, well, the god's name. Not really a person, I guess. But uh, nevertheless. Uh, so, I mean, they could go down that line, and maybe they won't call it a challenger deck. Maybe they will. Maybe it'll have its own special name. Uh, but but I agree, Brian. It, these, this supplementary product gives them an opportunity to print something that is that could be useful and modern um, and build a deck. I mean, it's not going to be a tier one deck by any means. Or if it is a tier one deck, it's not going to be the full version of it. Uh, whether we do something like blue white control with like a Teferi, and then you're missing three, uh, or you know you're probably not gonna have fetches or shocks in it. Maybe shocks because they just printed like 
most of them, uh, all of them actually in this case. Uh, but I, I see them using this as a, a, a jumping off place, you know, like a, a, to dive into to the modern format again and say, hey, you guys need these things, not for financial reasons, obviously, but it's just a man's pretty high. You know, we want, we want to make sure that people are, can play this, these decks and can play the format more. Anyone else have any thoughts about that idea? So it definitely increases the demand for reprints of modern staples if you can get more people into the modern format. Mm -hmm. uh, additionally, though, they do have to worry about uh, making sure that these decks are playable, but that they're not putting $1,000 worth of cardboard into something that's going to MSRP at 50 bucks. Yeah, I mean, who, who knows how much it actually be? Yeah. yeah even, even if you're making $100, like, you're not getting a Jun deck for $100 in the next few months, I'm just going to say that. But when you compare that with a Challenger deck at MSRP of, what, $30? $35? Something like that. How mm -hmm. does Wizards, without acknowledging the secondary market, justify a $100 uh, modern event deck, modern Challenger deck, whatever we want to call these things? Well, I'll use their, their signature. It's not designed for you, necessarily. <laughs> That's how they justify So you're saying premium <laughs> cards. 100%. Oh, all 75 foiled. That's right. Foil Jund for a hundred dollars. Called from, it, nailed with, it. With from the vault foiling, so nobody wants it. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Or, or better yet, uh, you, you you remove three cards and foil those out, and now I can cut to those cards as a judge, and now you're getting deck checked and losing games. It's great. <laughs> yes, foil only printings like Nexus of Fate. All right. Well, that, that was that was Brian's mind's baseless speculation. Do you have any baseless speculation of yourself, Marcos? Yes, I have some baseless speculation here. Uh, I think... So I'm trying to go as full pie in the sky as I can be, because I'm an optimist. I do like to hope that Wizards can do something particularly awesome. And one thing that has been on the tips of many modern players' tongues for years has been the possibility of getting new cards put into modern without having to put them through standard first. Mm, yeah. So I could totally see them putting out some sort of new booster product. Uh, I will say right now, I don't believe it's going to be a pre-constructed deck necessarily. Okay. Uh, I think it's going to be a booster product because they love promoting limited. Uh, that also happens to bring every single card in that booster product into the modern format without it having to go through standard. So, so things like Counterspell or put some sweet cards that would make the modern format a little shook up with some influx of new cards or even some newly designed cards that they want to put into modern to address certain things cough cough blood moon but What's that don't moon? have to go through the standard product i play amulet titan everything's wrong with blood moon sounds like a sounds like an amulet titan problem mm -hmm. yes yes it is you know it's, it's ironic <laughs> you know i'm sorry i don't mean to mean to cut you off there but you're good uh I want to go back to brian's point for a minute because something just occurred to me recently we've gotten opt into modern through standard, mm -hmm. which was an invasion card. We recently got Absorb from Invasion that is now legal in modern. Uh -huh. There are a lot of good cards in Invasion. So, I mean, I I might be leaning towards Brian's Planar Master, and it might be an Invasion set. And I mean, not the entire set, but there there are some cards in Invasion that would make... I think they would they would uh, kind of mix up the format a bit. So, um, so a hybrid of... My idea of a plain remastered and Marcus's idea of a booster product with new to modern cards. But there are other cards in the set because Absorb is, is one of, I, I, I believe, a, a 
five card set uh, that all does something for two of one color and one of another color. Uh, I know there was another one last night that I saw uh, at, at the store. Uh, I can't remember what the card Undermine. Was. Undermine. I think there yeah. was one that was blue, blue, black, counter target spell. Undermine. Loses three life. Yep. Yes, Undermine. That's Undermine. I would love to see Undermine in Modern, personally. Yeah, I mean, because gaining three life is fine, but why gain life when you can just kill your opponent by countering their last hope? I mean, like, this is great, and I don't mean Liliana. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, anything that would help put some new blood into Modern, That, but then, of course, there's also the flip side of that, of what if they print something like True Name Nemesis into Modern, and the entire format gets put on its head, so I'm hoping yeah. that they're just going a safe route with this while printing a lot of Modern staples, but also introducing some interesting cards that are just allowing certain types of deck builds to be more viable, but not so warping to the format that you have to play all of this card, or you're not in the format format anymore you know right so you got what um about six months out is when they finalize the card list for a given set assuming it's a booster product set right mm-hmm. uh, six months give or take so what was the modern meta looking like six months ago what strategies do you think wizards might be looking to help or hurt in this product I mean, if I remember correctly, it was uh, play a scrap trawler, uh, play a, play this thing that lets you sacrifice artifacts, and then just play by yourself for a few minutes. And when I say a few you minutes, mean like semblance 20. anvil. What was that? You mean semblance anvil? Yeah, semblance anvil. That, that's uh-huh. a card. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my bad. Um, yeah, I mean that, that was that was one thing. But I, I think at the time, actually, about six months ago, we also saw a lot of Tron. Uh, ironically, uh, you know, Tron ebbs and flows. Um, yeah. Same with Dredge. Patrol. Dredge was also big. Like that's why I think the format's so healthy right now is because it's it's all over the place and I love it. Uh, I don't want to say this, but I'm gonna anyway. I even think Splinter Two would be fine right now. Uh, I, I may be incorrect in this one because Splinter Two was such a weird deck, but at least it was interactive. Like you could interact with it. You had an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. You had the opportunity, but it encouraged you to not play out your game to try to interact with it. That was my big issue with that's it. True, that's true, that's true. May, maybe I'm wrong, uh, which, you know, yeah. it wouldn't be the first time. So, nevertheless, I mean, we got three points. We got a plane set, possibly, which I, I could see, uh, whether it's one of the ones that you've said or if, if it's a, a different set that maybe we're not even thinking of. Kamigawa, here we go, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, get I would me. love to see just <laughs> any kind of plane remastered. That sounds like a lot of fun. I did love playing Tempest remastered on Magic Online when it came out. And then my idea of possibly maybe like a modern event deck style of deck constructed product and Marcus's booster product, which I don't have a problem with. I just don't know if they'll do after they just literally said they're going to take a break from master sets. <laughs> like it's not uh, a master set because it's not it's not that's not a master because there's not a foil in every pack. Wink, nudge, what? Right, because it's probably going to be something like. Battle Bond or Conspiracy, where mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't a master set, but there are a lot of reprints in there. Right. Yeah. But a newly designed set with some interesting cards that have potential modern viability in them, in the rare and mythic rare area. But then the rest is all good, fun commons that encourage a certain type of fun play for modern players. Sure, and, and they would have to make sure if they were adding cards to modern, mm-hmm. they would have to make sure that they said, "Oh, by the way, this set, this supplemental set." Is not only legal in Legacy and Vintage, by the way, uh, it is also legal in Modern. Yep. But not Standard. That and and nice. I don't know if anyone has seen the the sweet picture that has been going around about how how easy it is to follow along 
uh, with all of uh, Magic's products. Um, and, and we, I'm sure we can. I'm sure we can link it uh, in in the comments or something here. Uh, yeah, we'll but, put it in the show notes. Yeah, but but there there's there's a picture going around that basically says, okay, cool, standard's easy. It's like the last six sets. Okay, cool. And then except for except for you know there's these other two, uh, the unstable and battle battle yeah. conspiracy. Uh, same kind of thing, yep. right? Those aren't uh, legal. Those aren't legal. Uh, but then they have these other decks that like parts of the cards, uh, the intro packs basically, or or whatever they call them nowadays. Uh, that there's some cards in there that actually aren't in the boxes. Those are legal too. Uh, and although all the buyer boxes are, are legal, that's fine too. Uh, unless you're playing arena, then obviously uh, <laughs> Nexus is not right. legal. But uh, don't forget, not the masters packs. Those aren't legal either. Ah, uh, that's true. True, master packs aren't, aren't legal uh, unless there happens to be a card that's already in standard in there, and that's fine. Um, so yes, obviously, if they did a set that was designed to supplement modern and legacy and vintage, uh, that we would be adding yet another tier of. So where can I play this? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to think about. We'll see what happens at the end of February, and I'm sure we'll have a big brouhaha about whatever it is, because that seems to be the MO recently. Wizards announces something, and everybody goes rabble, rabble, rabble. Especially if you're a Goblin Rabble Master. Yes. All right, well, I guess that's going to do it for today. I'd like to remind everybody that you can email us at teamcollectiveeffort at gmail.com. You can reach out to us at Twitter at mtg. Team CE for Team Collective Effort. You can follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash collective effort MTG. And a YouTube channel will be coming soon as soon as we do some sweet streams and start putting those videos back up onto our YouTube channel, which we'll announce soon. So on behalf of Marcos, Patrick, and myself, this has been the Day 3 podcast from Team Collective Effort, and we'll see you next time. They can't hear you wave. On the meat, you're the potatoes. Uh, Marcos, you can be, I don't know, dessert. Creme brulee. Dessert. <laughs> yeah, I'm the dessert. <laughs> That's right. I'm a snack. <laughs> I'm a legit snack. <laughs>